This episode of the Cold Shower Podcast is brought to you with support from Strong Brew Cold Brew Coffee. It is a fair trade organic coffee, all natural with two ingredients, coffee and water, resulting in zero calories. Why Strong Brew? Because most of my listeners reside in the great state of Michigan, and this beverage is created and sourced by Traverse City natives who are using all Michigan-made machinery, canning, processing, and distribution for Strong Brew. But besides those excellent reasons, it's also because I've had it, I've tasted it, it is delicious. Being a cold brew coffee, it's going to be a much smoother drink, less acidic, easier on your stomach, and also packs a little bit more of a punch in the caffeine department to get you further into your day. So check them out at drinkstrongbrew.com to see where you can purchase their sweet nectar. And we are also brought to you by Oler Marketing. They specialize in website design and development. So whether you're looking for a basic professional website to get online quickly or a fully customized site, Oler Marketing can suit your needs. All of their sites are user-friendly and cleanly designed. More specifically, they have a small business package which is designed to be a budget-friendly way to get online quickly with a website that you will love. You get custom branding and a unique style on device-responsive site that adapts to the user's screen size. Search engine optimization, website security firewall, and user tracking analytics come standard. I've used Oler Marketing. I'm currently using Oler Marketing. They're piecing together what I think is an excellent website for cold shower. I'd highly recommend them. So if you're at all in need of any of those services that I'd mentioned, visit them at olermarketing.com. That is O-H-L-E-R marketing.com. And on to the show. Hey, everybody. Taylor Kramer here with another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. Let's go. guys thanks for tuning in to this episode of the cold shower podcast i'm sitting at the beautiful grand traverse resort in traverse city i met up with my uncle um, and took a little bit of his time this morning because he has an incredible story to share and um, as you guys know really that's kind of the focus of this podcast is uh, normal people that have uh, stories or want to share a little bit about their values and their morals or their faith or whatever experiences whatever it is um, and this is one that you will not hear very often Um, So I'm going to preface this with just a little paragraph from a write-up that he has regarding his story, and then you're going to hear it firsthand um, from him. So uh, James Van Steenhouse was a Michigan farm boy and a graduate of Michigan State University. He moved to Texas in 1993 with the acceptance of an entry-level position in a mortgage banking firm. He quickly took to the mortgage industry and is now the owner of Interlink Mortgage Services, which is one of the country's top 100 mortgage employers. Jim and his wife Elizabeth are the proud parents of three children, Dawson, Brianna, and Hayden. His rural upbringing brought with it a love of hunting. Since those early days of hunting on the Michigan countryside, Jim has replaced his rifle with a bow and has hunted throughout the U.S., Africa, Canada, and New Zealand. Jim returned from the Northwest Territory of Canada in 2015 in search of moose. That trip did not turn out quite the way that he envisioned. On the fourth morning of that hunt, he was viciously attacked by a grizzly bear. So this is his story of survival and how the Lord intervened saving his life. Uncle Jim, I appreciate you meeting up with me. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So go ahead and uh, just kind of give a brief overview of yourself or whatever you do. Um, I know I covered some of it, but... 
Yeah, I would, as you had said there pretty eloquently, I, I never planned on, on on leaving the farm um, in the mid-'80s when the agriculture business dropped out. You, know, you had to make a decision to go big or get out, and um, they made the decision. My father and his brother, my uncle, made the decision to, to lease or sell the farm, and I had to take a different career path, so I went to college. I don't know that I was even considering college, to be honest with you. Um, I don't I don't know that I really cracked any books in high school until I absolutely had to when I realized that uh, farming wasn't an option. But uh, in 1993, my career path took me down to down to Texas, and I got into mortgage banking. Um, had the opportunity to partner up with the nation's number one salesperson. And when you think about that in in general terms, you know, to be the number one sales representative in a specific industry. Um, then have the opportunity at a young age to work with that individual. I learned what it took to be number one. Mm -hmm. um, he always had a, had a great quote. You know, it's fantastic riding the wave to be number one. But when you are number one, everybody wants to shoot at you. Mm -hmm. And that that taught me really, you know, the, the the foundation of which I built my career on, and um, dealing with people, dealing with clients. And we've uh, built a company from there. Started in 2004 with four people. Today, we've got over 500 individuals operating in 22 states. So we've yeah. just been real blessed. For, you know, I believe people will work at an organization where they feel they have the highest probability of achieving their goals, period. And if you have the ability to have an organization that focuses on achieving your team members' goals, then the company will achieve its goals. And that's just been our, our philosophy, slow but steady. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's awesome <laughs> philosophy. And there's so many things I could ask you about uh, your business career and, and your um, kind of outlook on some of those things. There's certainly been that success that you've achieved through that. I mean, was it a mentorship that you had with that guy or was it more of just a watching from a distance type of thing and, and picking that up or did he take you under his wing? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a mentorship. Okay. He, um, uh, he he never read Stephen Covey's um, how, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Right. Right? He, he, was, uh, he was tough. Okay. But you learned, right? I mean, I, I was his—I was an operations manager when I joined him, and he had gone through like three or four operations managers prior to me, just because he was—you <clears throat> didn't manage him; you just learned what his priorities were and how to deal with it, and kind of crowd the the wayward sheep back into the flock, so to speak. And um, it worked well. I worked with him from 1993 until 2000, and you know, it's. Uh, that was that was that was my ten thousand hours. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it was an invaluable experience. Yeah. You, you got to put everything in a in a in a T graph. All of the things on the left side are all of the fantastic things you've learned. Then everything on the right side is what you're going to control, delete. Mm -hmm. There were plenty on both, but we maximized the left and forgot yeah. the right. Yeah, that's that's good advice there. That's what I always. Anytime I'm trying to get a new job, um, and I know that you know you have your coworkers in an office setting. I, during the interview, I just tell myself, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to be surrounded by people um, that are more experienced in this setting. And so what I'm going to do is take the good parts of them and mix it with the good parts of me and then try to weed out some of those maybe. Uh, you, it's interesting you talk about experience. I think, you know, experience to me is probably one of the most overrated questions that companies ask for. I'd rather, I would take someone with no experience in a work ethic that is incredible mm -hmm. every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Right. Um, 
because you you can teach people what to do you can't teach people work ethic they're either born with it or they're not you can't teach integrity they're either born with it or they're not but when you can find work ethic and integrity i don't care if you can't spell mortgage i can teach you that right so many organizations focus on experience 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 and you don't get what you pay for right totally different mindset yeah, I think that that's going to work well with, we spoke a little bit prior to this, with this generation um, in terms of millennials or the ones coming after that, because they're not just looking for that dollar, um, they're looking for that sense of purpose in their job and they want to work for someone that they respect. Um, and so that plays a huge part in that. So I, I think that that's going to work well in relating to these upcoming generations. Um, so obviously amidst the trajectory of your business, there was a few wrenches thrown in. So I want to get into that. Um, in terms of this this bear man story could you kind of set the table for us and take us through and tell us in such a way that you you normally do in terms of I know you speak in front of some large crowds and things like that sharing your experience so go ahead and well, I, mean, I mean I enjoy the outdoors I mean I, I believe that we are all like a cell phone <clears throat> we all have a battery humans have batteries too and some people recharge their battery by reading some people recharge their battery by being social with others. Some people recharge their battery. My daughter recharges her battery by going into her room. She's 11 years old and all of her dolls come to life and she teaches them these amazing things in her little world. And 45 minutes later, she comes out and you can see that her battery mm-hmm. says 100%. Right. Um, I charge my batteries by getting outdoors. Um, the further away I can get, when you when you're out there you very rarely even see a jet fly over that to me is when the battery starts charging um, and, this, and this particular hunt was uh, September 2015 we were headed up to the Northwest Territories of Canada very remote um, you go Houston to Edmonton Edmonton to Yellowknife Yellowknife to Norman Wells and as you go further north the planes get smaller and smaller mm-hmm. from Norman Wells you jump onto a, a float plane um, which is piloted by some very aggressive pilots. Uh, I think they enjoy thrills so they don't fly commercial. But uh, he, he takes that uh, plane, you fly southwest deep into the McKenzie mountain range, and he lands that float plane on a lake the size of a football field, and you jump off, uh, that's base camp. And then from that point, you just, you just wait for your name to be called, and they take you out on a helicopter and drop you off and tell you that they'll be back to pick you up and five, six, seven, ten, twelve days. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of keep in touch with base camp and you're on your own to hunt. Yeah. So I know that these hunts are rigorous and I've worked out with you um, a couple times. Is that, you'd mentioned the recharging of the battery. So obviously it's much easier for somebody to recharge by going into their bedroom. For you, it requires some travel. Is is part of the getting ready for those hunts too also recharge a little bit oh, yeah. and look these, towards it? Or? Absolutely. These hunts start... I mean, a hunt could last anywhere from 10 days to 22 days. But that's the duration of the hunt. Then you've got, you book a hunt. I book hunts two and a half to three years in advance. So every, I've already, everything three years down the road is already booked. Just because of the planning and preparation and where you're going. And then what type of equipment do you need to have? What type of shape does your body need to be in 
how do you get how do you how do you prepare yourself for the McKinsey Mountain Range in the Northwest Territories of Canada at Houston, Texas, a whopping 75 feet above sea level. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of those factors come into mind. So to, to answer your question, I believe that my my battery starts trickle charging mm -hmm. the day that you book the hunt, and then the day that you write down your equipment list in your in your in your iPhone. And then when you start working out and you've got specific goals in mind, um, that your battery's recharging because you're you're getting excited for it. the the hunt is really the payoff. Right. The work is the three years of preparation and making sure that you have you put yourself in the best opportunity to succeed where you're at. Because the last thing you want is to book something three years in advance, get there, not have the right equipment, or be out of shape. I mean, these are these are mountains. They're not forgiving. They don't. They don't play. And if you go there out of shape, they don't care. Yeah. Uh, but you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you're dropped off at base camp next to a lake, um, and then you said you kind of are waiting for your name to get called. For you, what did it look like once your name was called? Well, I was the only one there shooting uh, archery. Yeah, explain a little uh, bit all about the, that. All the guys. Uh, I, I love archery hunting. Mm -hmm. The 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 rifle technology today is is unbelievable. And I've got a ton of respect for, for the rifle hunters. Um, but I just enjoy the, the chase and the thrill of archery. You have to be prepared that if you go on a hunt and the success rate on a hunt is, say, 55% or 60%, you have to be prepared to cut that in half if you're an archery hunter. Mm -hmm. um, and you got, you've got to be okay with, without coming home after in harvesting an animal uh, it goes it goes be it just goes to the point of are you there to harvest an animal are you there to kill something or are you there for the experience right and archery hunters i would imagine are primarily there for the experience i mean if we're fortunate enough to harvest an animal man that's the cherry on the, that's that's the cherry on top but that whole experience when you are 11 yards away from a, a bugling elk and it's 22 degrees outside and just, just slobbering all over itself and mm -hmm. thrashing in the trees and you can you're so close you can see the steam come out of its mouth um, as you're drawing back your arrow uh, your bow that's that's an experience that you just won't get three four five six seven hundred yards away with a rifle yeah that's almost to me it feels like time travel like you're going back in time it, it's, experiencing things that the technology is incredible today it's not like you're shooting you know some people shoot the recurves and mm -hmm. longbows but uh, the technology with archery is fantastic today but when you're up close and personal and it's all about wind and it's 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 an incredible experience yeah that's awesome so you get your name called and you're going to be choppered out to a location that your guide has picked out oh they have uh, the owner uh they, he has in his mind an area a direction he wants to go but they they don't it's nothing that's uh, pre-planned on the gps okay. he just flies around we flew mm -hmm. around for about an hour in the helicopter uh, 45 minutes to an hour in the helicopter we saw all kinds of moose and um, saw some bear uh, and then he just saw a flat spot on a riverbed and he said i think this will be a pretty good spot to, to set her down and he sets us down you take your gear off and he's gone you're on your own yeah okay so you were up there hunting for moose correct yes okay so he drops you off near a riverbed and then what happens from there well he takes off and as the chopper pulls off and you know it's the proverbial you've got your head down the first thing that i see in the sand is a big paw print and 
I asked my, my, my guy, Jordan, I said, Jordan, um, what, what do we got here? And he looks down, he says, oh, that's a big grizzly print. We're going to stay away from those. And right. I was like, yeah, roger that, no Good problem. And yeah. I, you know, not thinking anything of it. We had just been there for five minutes. So then we, I asked Jordan, what do we do now? He says, we're going to set up camp. And I said, where? He's like, I have no idea. Let's just kind of walk around, figure yeah. it out. So you are literally making stuff up yeah. as you go. Yeah, that's, man, what an experience. So I think you'd mentioned, too, in the um, article or this memoir of your experience um, that you had a bad feeling leading into this trip, too. To me, it seems like, as you're telling your story, it almost is like playing out in the sense that you had this eerie feeling, and then one of the first things you see when you get off the chopper is a paw print. I was, you typically before a hunt, I get as giddy as my 10-year-old and 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's to the point where my wife says it's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. On this hunt, it was just a weird feeling leaving the house. And when I got to the airport, I literally was texting back and forth with a mentor of mine saying, I just, this, this feels odd. Something feels wrong. And I just, it might have just been because of where we were going in the McKenzie. I just made up in my mind it was just because where we were going was as remote of a place as I've ever been. Um, but I had trained for it. I had the right gear. Everything was set. And I just thought maybe it was just, you know, nerves, right? You know, yeah. pre, pre, pre-game nerves. That's what I, I just chalked it up to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. we just force ourselves through it and suck it up and go. Yeah, exactly. So day one is when you land and you went out in search of camp. Was there anything else that, of significance that took place during day one, or were you just prepping for day two? Yeah, day, day one, we got, up, we got up there on uh, – on the first day, we set up camp. We went out. We um, we spotted in, a little bit, just sitting up on top of the uh, up on top of the mountain. And you just hike up, and you really get out here. We we call it spot. It's spot and stalk. Spotting means you look with through your binoculars. You find something that is worthy of a stalk. So you spot and then stalk the animal. Um, day one was rather, you know, just kind of getting getting accustomed to stuff. Um, I did realize that uh, when, when we when we got to camp, I had some ramen noodles, mm-hmm. and then that night I had ramen noodles, and then the next morning I had ramen noodles, and at lunch I had ramen noodles. Mm-hmm. And when I asked Jordan, I said, you know, why are we eating ramen noodles over and over? He reminded me that when we got to base camp and we were supposed to go to the uh, food storage bin, um, I told him I was too busy and I need to sight my rifle or my bow into uh, grab all the food and he said he enjoyed ramen noodles and he yeah. chose nothing other than ramen noodles sardines and tuna fish oh that's a good so that was yeah. our that was that was the trio combo okay on the second day we got up and we went back to that same spot <clears throat> we were watching a moose uh, a cow a female down in a draw and we were excited about that simply for the fact that they were about ready to go into heat into rut mm-hmm. and that would draw up a, a bull a male and then we saw a grizzly up on the um, above the uh, well above the tree line on top of a mountain. And when he pointed out the grizzly, I didn't pay much attention to it because, quite frankly, it was three miles away. I mean, it was a speck in my binoculars, it was a speck in a spotting scope. Uh, but about two, three hours later, he he called me over. I was glassing to the north, and he was glassing to the south. He called me over and. He's a little bit uneasy because that cow had come screaming out of the willows down in the uh, draw that she was in. And 
he couldn't see that grizzly anymore and we happened to look up on on the mountain uh, a little bit to our east and at 72 yards he just come plopping right up on top of that staring at us <clears throat> he says grab your bow so i did and he had a 44 lever action and he says we're not we're not we're not going to mess with this thing if it shows any signs of aggression i'm going to put a couple shots a couple rounds in front of him try to scare him off well it was almost as if instinctively this bear was listening to us because he, as soon as he said that it started getting aggressive mm -hmm. and he shot in front of it and dirt scatters up in his face and that just quite frankly irritated the, the grizzly yeah. and he, he he turned to get after us and uh, Jordan planted one right in the side of him and he got barreling off down into the willows and I just remember my heart about jumping out of my chest. Yeah. You know, it's just beating frantically. I'm, I'm holding on to a bow with some sticks. I mean, what am I yeah. going to do with this thing, right? And I remember looking at him and, and asking him, you know, I don't remember, perhaps I, oh, I mean, perhaps I missed it, but I don't remember reading this in the brochures where yeah. you're talking people are coming down and enjoying this experience. But that was, that, that was an interesting moment. That bear was, you know, a mere 60, 65, 70 yards away, but he went barreling off and we left. We went to a different mountain range I mean, on foot. Mm -hmm. We walked probably four or five miles and that's where we spent the, the rest of the afternoon. Okay. Yeah, that's, that distance is not comfortable, I'm sure. And he ends up getting much closer, but what I, what I don't think people understand is that 60 yards isn't really that long a bear can cover that ground pretty uh, a, quickly. A bear, <clears throat> I mean, a couple things about bears is they, humans have the ability, we have we have a gauges inside of us. So if, you, if you're going to wrestle with your child, then you, you, then you know if you have a 10-year-old child and you have a 20-year-old, young adult, mm -hmm. and they're both your children, you wrestle with a 10-year-old and you have a meter that sells how, how you're going to wrestle in the living room, right, and it's fantastic. But when you wrestle with your 20-year-old, you're, 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 you're moving furniture and you're breaking sheetrock, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this gauge. Bears don't have that gauge. Yeah. It's 100% it's all the time. Mm -hmm. If they're going to go after something, they don't make the assessment that, well, this would require 20% exertion or this is 75. It's 100 every time. Mm -hmm. That's the way that they act. So it's, it's, when, when they flip the switch, it's, it's, it's on. Yeah. Okay, so you came across that bear, and you'd had previous experience with a grizzly before. Was it a grizzly? That was a brown bear. That was a brown bear. Yeah. Okay. Down in uh, I was down in the Alaskan Peninsula, brown bear hunting archery. Okay. And um, we had a brown bear within 11 yards. It was a perfect shot. Um, that's a that's a whole other story. We call that one the one that got away. All right. But um, yeah, he was 11 yards away, so close that when he would breathe, I could see the steam and the moisture mm -hmm. on his nose. Oh man. So after that experience on this trip in 2015, you came across that bear. He shot shot it in the shoulder or the side. Yep, and then right where'd you guys head after that? And this was day two? That was day two. We walked uh, probably four miles to up and over a mountain, which he pointed at this mountain that I thought was just a beautiful mountain. He said, we're going to go over that. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And, uh, and we did. Um, and uh, we set up there for the, the for the remainder of the afternoon. Um, now I remember when we were walking back to camp, he he almost got up into a trot. And if you've ever been to the Northwest Territories, of Canada, when the, the ground is uh, it's very mossy, it feels like you're walking on marshmallows. So every one step feels like two, two, four, four, eight, um, and you're in full gear. It's not like you're wearing your running shoes, right? Yeah. And he's trotting. And I, I finally, after about 
it felt like two miles. It was probably like 300 yards. <laughs> I grabbed Jordan and I asked him, I said, why, why, why are we running at such a, 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 what I would consider a frantic pace? He's half my age, so you know, yeah. running to him is probably just second nature. And I remember him looking at me and he said, when the sun goes down, Mr. Van Steenhouse, we are on the menu. Right. And uh, I did not have any problem running back to camp. It no. was about a three and a half, four mile jog, but uh, we, we got back there right at dark and uh, we had we had seen a moose a little bit uh, prior to that. And uh, I was extremely excited because we, we'd seen one, that's what we were there for. And uh, I just stared at the tent ceiling all that night, mm -hmm. looking forward to getting up the next day and getting after it. Yeah. So you're thinking more about the moose than the interaction with the bear? that you just had oh you don't you know you don't go through life driving a car thinking about getting in a car accident you go right. through life driving in your car thinking about how cool your first car is and where you're going and all that other stuff you only think yeah. about the accident when somebody crams you right yeah so, that's so no i was not thinking about bears yeah i thought that bear we saw the the uh when it came up on us was you know one off and mm. jordan threw one right in his rib cage and that was that right yeah. Chalk it up to, that was kind of cool, now it was two days ago. Right. On to the next thing. So, you didn't sleep much that night because you were anticipating getting in on some action. Oh, yeah. The next day with the moose. And then day three, you woke up, and that's where you were going to try to find that same moose. Yeah, day, that was actually day, it was day three when we came back and had the stalk. Okay. Then um, ran back to camp. And on the fourth day when we got up, um, he didn't he didn't want to uh yeah day two and day day two we hiked over to the spot that was four and a half miles away and day three we went back to that same spot and it was the end of day three when we jogged back to camp and had the mm. opportunity for a stalk on a moose but we had to push it a little hard because it was getting dark okay and on the fourth morning we went back to the place that we hunted that second day um in that vicinity <clears throat> and uh, we had hiked up you know, maybe seven, eight hundred feet, um, and we wanted to get up over a ridge where we could uh, get a little bit better optic. And uh, we left our, uh, we said, you know, let's leave our gear here, take our bow, and he'll take his rifle, and we'll be back in a minute. So we went up, uh, dropped our gear, went up another three, four hundred feet, and just sat there glassing for a couple hours. And um, I remember, you know, when you're glassing downhill. I have a tendency to get a little nauseous after, you know, you're, it's hour after hour after hour of glassing. And I put my glasses down and was kind of rubbing my face and Jordan was sitting to my left and I I just kind of put him down and I asked him a question. It's a whole story behind the questions, but we won't get into that today. But he put his glasses down to answer my question. When he looked at me, he just said one word. He said, bear. Mm -hmm. And I had no, and I, it obviously wasn't the question that I asked him. Right. And uh, when he looked at me as if he was looking through a, a piece of cellophane, he wasn't looking at me, he was looking through me. When I looked over my right shoulder, standing to about my 334 o'clock, uh, was a full-grown uh, boar grizzly, male grizzly, mm. um, on all fours. Uh, had he been on his behind twos, that have been, you know, could have been a sign of aggression, maybe a little different story but he was on all fours head bobbing back and forth mm -hmm. his lips were curling his teeth were clicking and um you just knew it was trouble i look back at jordan instinctively just to see if he had shouldered his rifle had he shouldered it i would have just laid back and let mm -hmm. him shoot i was in the line of fire he could just shot over me if i laid back but jordan hadn't moved and when i look back at the bear he 
he just jumped right on the back of my neck. Huh. Just it was game on from there. Right. He, um, when he hit me, I, I just remember. I just remember thinking, you know, Lord have me, here I come. There's a point when some things happen where you know you're not going to live. And it's difficult to comprehend, but when you're in the situation, it makes more sense. I knew there was no way I was going to survive that. And the first thing that I thought was, Lord, here I come, please have, please have me. Um, they, uh, I put my hands over my head, went as close down to the ground as I could get. The first thing the bear went for was my head. When something rips into your skull, you don't hear it from the outside, you hear it from the inside. Um, and then uh, externally, I could hear as his teeth were raking over my skull, my hands were getting trapped in his mouth, and I could hear the, what sounded like twigs, which were actually the bones of my hands snapping. And then he worked down to my right shoulder, my right, uh, my right side, my back, my, uh, my right hip, uh, and my right leg. And then all of a sudden, the commotion just stopped, and I'm laying on the ground and I could see the bear standing next to me out of my left eye and he would turn and take a couple steps and look back at me and turn and take a couple steps and look back at me and that's when I just realized that you got two choices you're gonna lay here or we're gonna we're gonna bolt mm. um, I didn't know if laying there and having the bear walk off was a good idea or getting up and getting out of there was a good idea it's 50-50 it's, it's right I chose to, we're going to exit. Okay. Um, and when I, when I picked my head up, I just, I, you, I, 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 I thought it was raining. Um, and what it, what it was was that I was losing a lot of blood. You, your head loses a tremendous amount of blood. And my fingers were pointed in different directions um, that I didn't know that they could go. Right. <clears throat> and it, I looked down at my clothing. It looked like I had gotten in a fight with Edward Scissor's hands. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just started crawling and on my knees and trying to I, I didn't know where I was when 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 the bear hit me I, we were on top of a ridge and when he got off me I was down about entering the pine trees he had dragged me 150 feet um, so if, if I spun you around in a circle and took you 150 feet away and said okay you, you kind of takes you a second to get oriented I had no idea where it was I just knew I probably need to go up, so I started going up the hill. And when I was running up the hill, uh, Jordan was coming down at me. And the first thing I wanted to ask him was, is my head okay? Because I, I knew he had crushed it pretty good. Um, and I didn't know if my if it was missing. You know, you just don't know. And I was afraid to touch it, and I couldn't feel anything because my hands were all jacked up. And just when I was going to ask Jordan, how's my head, he looked at me and said, holy, you know, you can kind of finish the sentence. Yeah. And then I was afraid to ask. I, 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 I didn't want to know that because after he said that, I was like, okay, I don't want to know the answer what my head looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you went from pretty much packing it in in the sense that you thought you were going to die. There was no way you are making it yeah, out alive. Yes. And then within that couple minutes, which probably seemed a lot longer, maybe seconds even, I'm not sure how long the whole thing lasted, um, then you kind of went back into survival mode in terms of I got to get out of here. Yes, but uh, I, I would say that I mean to drag. First of all, you know people. Yeah, I read all these articles, especially after you get back. It's similar to when you buy a new car, right? Mm -hmm. When you buy a new car, all of a sudden you notice all the people that have a car just like you on the road. Yep. Uh, well, after I was attacked by the bear and I got home and I was going through recovery, I was reading all these articles. All of a sudden, of people that 
were attacked by a brown bear or a black bear or a grizzly bear. And, you know, they've one guy stuck his hand down the throat because they had gag reflex, reflex, and somebody else grabbed it, put their finger in their eye, and somebody else stabbed them with a knife. And uh, those people are incredible. Um, I couldn't do any of that. Right. This bear was powerful, and I was powerless. There was there was no ability to do anything. He just was he was eight hundred some eight hundred plus pounds, and I'm not. But uh, the first thing that was on our mind was getting off of that mountain. Um, Jordan had an in-touch satellite system uh, that we had tested every night with base camp. For some reason, that wasn't working. I don't know if it's the Indian or the arrow. It doesn't matter. It just wasn't working. We had taken some bandages out of my first aid kit and he laid them on my head gingerly, which actually was a good sign because when he put the bandages on my head, I could feel that they were actually hitting my skull. So I knew that my skull was still there. That was that was like a plus, if, yeah. in, if anything, in the situation. But mm-hmm. um, we had to, you know, got my sat phone out. My sat phone will tell you longitude and latitude. And uh, we called, you know, there's a red button on top of everybody's sat phone, or at least on mine. And I said, hit this red button. I've never used it before, I think, but when you hit it, like the Navy SEAL's coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, he hit the red button, uh, and then it said, uh, uh, dear user, you know, not dear user, you have to pre-register for the emergency services. It's a free service, but required in order for this to function fully. And I'm not one to really read a lot of, a lot of directions. Okay. Um, uh, tremendous oversight on my part. So he actually called my wife uh, from the McKinsey Mountain Range. My wife was in a grocery store parking lot in Houston, Texas, and told her that I was attacked by a bear. And then the phone cut off, because you see the emergency system network did actually work. Um, Cut her off, and they plugged in, and they got our longitude and latitude. They were able to get a hold of our base camp, and uh, uh, the gentleman that flew us out in the helicopter had our longitude and latitude and had to come out and pick us up. there was, a, there was a doctor in our group that had shot a moose on the second day, so he came out as well, Dr. Burlingame, he's an eye doctor, great guy. And uh, it was interesting that when they got there, they're asking me questions, and in my mind, I'm having a conversation with them, but I would hear them say, he's completely not responsive. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you talking about? I'm, we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but apparently I was, I was in shock. So we got in the helicopter and then uh, took the helicopter back to base camp. Then we had to get to the hospital, uh, which is a feat in and of itself. They couldn't get a uh, float plane in for whatever reason. The ceiling was too low. So Stan made the decision to take that helicopter, which is not the Trump chopper. It's the Magnum PI chopper. Right. Um, he flew that along the river for the two-hour-plus trek to Norman Wells. And when I was in the back of that helicopter, you're, you got a lot of time. You got now you're you're starting to decompress from the activity. Your your senses are starting to pick up what's going on. Mm-hmm. Your, the world is you know everything's starting to come back into focus, and uh, you're kind of bobbing in and out of consciousness. You're, you look down. I could feel just streams running down me, which were just losing blood, mm-hmm. and I mean, your hands are going in all different directions. They put them on some some boards and I started to I started to panic you know I, I, it was it, my mind was starting to work again and I mean the, the, your body is an amazing thing when you 
get hit with something like that, it has the ability to shut certain things down. Mm -hmm. After time, you know, the, the engine started running again. And when, when I had the ability to start thinking and focusing, I did I did the first thing that I'm probably good at. I just freaked out. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, what crossed my mind, the first thing that crossed my mind is, well, what if I die in this helicopter? That's, when the bear hit me, I knew I was gonna die. So there wasn't any thought to it. I just, I knew I was going. But when you're in a heli when you're in the back of that helicopter and you've got time to think about it, mm -hmm. so you're like, well, am I going to make it to the hospital? I probably will. But what if I don't? Well, then I started panicking. If I die in the back of this helicopter, am I going to go to heaven? Mm -hmm. Now, when you are literally faced with not knowing whether or not you're going to die, and then how long it's going to take you to get somewhere, and then you start thinking about, are you really going to go to heaven? I say that I am. Am I? Have I done? Are you sure about this, Jim? This is like this. If you do die, are you sure? I mean, and that I just—I remember I was just stricken with fear, and I was freezing in the back of the helicopter. And the more I thought about, the more I panicked. And then it—it it was as if the Holy Spirit just entered that helicopter, and in blunt terms, just said, "Calm." I mean, it, it's in John 3:16, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. There is no one on the planet that has the ability to live a sinless life. We sin every single day, multiple times a day. Jesus was sinless. And through his sacrifice on the cross to forgive our sins, that's our access to heaven. I got caught up in the fact that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but all of the sins that I commit on a daily basis, I thought I was going to be extracted from that. Mm -hmm. That's not the way that it works. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he died for us, for our sins today and into the future. And when I started thinking in those terms, my coldness went away, and it was as if someone put a warm blanket on me in the back of that helicopter. And I was looking out the windows of the helicopter, and instead of seeing rugged mountains that want to eat me, mm -hmm. I saw the Lord's majestic beauty, and I completely relaxed in the back of that helicopter. And then we landed at, the, at Norman Wells, which does not have a hospital. It has a nursing station. Okay. And they prepped me for uh, surgery, which was going to be in Yellowknife. And then they had to send a, uh, a medevac jet. Um, Canada will send you a $20,000 bill for use of their medevac right. jet. I can tell you that uh, <laughs> personally. And uh, I went into surgery at uh, 9.30 at night. The accident happened at 10 in the morning. So 10 in the morning, 9.30 at night when surgery started. It lasted uh, over six hours. And um, that was the beginning of the recovery process. Okay. What did that surgery look like in terms of what were they trying to do to fix you up as best they could before you were heading back to Texas? It was staples and stitches. And a lot of, you know, bears are, they're dirty. And there's mm -hmm. two things I remember about that bear was his smell. He smelled like death mm -hmm. and the sound he made. Those are only the two, th only two things I remember. <clears throat> but when you go into surgery, it's not surgery per se, you're awake. But they are, first thing they did was staple up my head, but they had, there's a incredible cleansing process uh, because of all the bacteria that 
the bear has in its mouth and its claws. Um, so you're, the whole process of cleaning the wound, opening the wound, cleansing it more, flushing it out, and then in your head you get staples, at, uh, 40 plus staples in my head, and then you, you get stitches in your, in your skin, which I had more than you could count. Right. Yeah. So you had this kind of catastrophic event. Um, I mean, do you ever think about, I think people when, when they experience something like that, they go one of two ways. They are thankful they made it out or they're still asking why me, why'd that happen to me? What made you kind of go more the route of being thankful and allowing it to change the trajectory of your life a little bit in terms of, you know, what were you going to do to further your mission? Well, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that, I mean, number one, why me doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. You just sit there and think, why me? And nobody else cares, right? And it's just, it was you. Um, I, I, the Lord has an incredible way of getting people's attention, mm-hmm. right? I believe that it took a grizzly bear to get my attention, which kind of leads me to believe that perhaps I'm not as smart or... Uh, aware uh, I mean, uh, or intuitive as others because he has the ability of getting other people's attention um, without the use of a grizzly bear. Right. Uh, I, would, I would much prefer some other mode of, of getting my attention. You know, um, I always tell folks all the time, I said, you know, I'm going to get to heaven hmm. and the first thing I'm going to see is a grizzly bear. And Jesus is going to pull that grizzly bear off him. He's going to say, I got you good, didn't I? Right. You know, but my, my point of, of is that is is there there's a message behind what I went through. Everybody has a bear on them. Everybody. Maybe your job is your bear. Maybe the, your relationship is your bear. Maybe the lack of a relationship with our children is our bear. Maybe drinking and drugs is your bear. Uh, maybe your relationship with your parents is your bear. Maybe your relationship with your sibling. Everybody has a bear. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? And I've devoted my time now to I mean, I travel across the country. And I'll tell this story and I'll uh, mix it in with my walk with faith. And, and I'll tell people that you think you know how much time you have. You think you know what you're doing this afternoon. You think you know what you're doing tomorrow. I plan these hunts three years in advance. I think I know what I'm doing three years in advance. But what you don't know is when your end game is. So what are you doing now, not knowing when your end game is? What if that bear would have taken me off the mountain? And what I tell folks is, are you in the right place with our Savior today? Or are you going to do that down the road? Are you thinking about talking to your kids about that next week? Or are you thinking about having that conversation with your wife about it tomorrow? And what if tomorrow didn't come? Because I certainly didn't expect a bear to jump on my back. I was... I was thinking about seeing a moose Mm -hmm. so we don't know what the next minute brings so how about we take the things that are really important in life you see we tend to major in the minors and minor in the majors Mm -hmm. how about we make a priority of the major things that we need to knock out that we were really planning on doing tomorrow or maybe next year get three or four of them yeah and how about we just take care of them right now yeah i think that's an awesome message and you'd mentioned now that you're spending time traveling and speaking to groups and sharing this story um, because, I mean, the fact is not everybody's going to have a catastrophic event that they're going to survive to be able to change the trajectory of their life. And so that's kind of why I started this podcast. You're a big part of that. I haven't told you that, but um, 
just knowing that I have people in my life that have these stories to share um, was really important because we can't all experience everything. So we need to take the time to hear from people who have experiences different than ours. Can, is that through reading? Is that through listening to podcasts? Whatever it is, and that's why I was so excited to get you on here um, because of that message. Um, I guess, what are your plans for the future? Has it, You said that you map things out, and so um, have your plans changed? Like in 2014, were you expecting to be in a different spot, but that bear pushed you in a new direction? Well, what the what the... I call it, you know, what the bear man has done is it's just pushed, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone. If, if anybody would have told me back in 2015, prior to September, that I would speak with individuals across the country about my, my walk in faith, I, I'd tell them that there were two chances of that, slim and none. It just wouldn't mm. happen. That's not me. I, I'm not even one to pray out loud with people. Mm. It just wasn't me. And here I am going and talking with groups of 60 up to groups of 800 about my walk with faith and, and what can others do to, to to get to understand our Lord and Savior better and accept them as their um, uh, to take away their sins. It's just my life has completely changed. And, yeah. you know, and when it comes to the Bear Man talks, now I'm continually looking for different avenues. We've just entered into um, or about to enter into uh, prison ministry. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there, there's a I tell the Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. And every time I give a speech, I'll go home and I'll tell my wife, I'm like, I think the Lord wants to retire me. I don't have anything booked, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, something will pop up and something will pop up. And now the prison ministry came up and we've got two or three of these uh, planned and we're going to be going around and talking about my story with, with um, individuals in either maximum or minimum or security prisons. It doesn't matter to me. But it's just amazing how the Lord, he's like, look, if you're dedicated, let me, let's test it out. Yep. Let's test it out. Let's make sure you're willing to run the race. You're going to quit halfway through. You're going to take it over the finish line. You're going to put the energy into it. You're going to, you're going to make it right. You're going to, you're going to deliver my message properly. Am I going to have enough faith that you're going to get this done? Test, 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 test. Okay. Door opens, test. Another door opens, test. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't stop. Yeah. And that's awesome. And, and that happens to people when they open themselves up to that. Um, it almost seems like you're given more responsibility to carry out these tasks that at one point you never thought you'd be called to do. Yeah. And you, you, you think that you don't have time. It's amazing. you got time. Mm-hmm. There isn't any time that some... I've never had a speech on a day where something else was planned. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. I yeah. can't plan a birthday party. We, I, it, it's impossible to plan going to dinner with another family. But... These speeches, and I've given 20 or 30 of them now, they've never fallen on a day where I've had anything going on. Mm. It doesn't make any sense, except that the Lord just knows what's happening. And he's like, you're going to do it here, 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 and you don't know any of this yet, but I'm going to just plot it out and just stay the course, my friend. Yeah, works out perfect. Um, So with that, um, I know that you're traveling around and doing these engagements, and so listeners, I hope that this uh, episode as we wrap this up I don't want to keep them from the beautiful Traverse City area for much longer Um, I hope that this was beneficial to you can you just plug where people can find out more about you whether that would be the work that you're doing with the bear man or whatever else philanthropy yeah we've got uh, uh, thebearman.com www.thebearman.com that's got my story on it if uh, this is a message you'd like to brought to your church we do a lot of uh, Church, uh, church speeches. Um, uh, there's a, a tremendous outpouring when you do the uh, uh, what do you call it? Where you get together and you have the, the cook-offs. Okay. Um, 
and deliver that message as well with men's and women's groups. But, uh, yeah, bearman.com. All right, excellent. Guys, I appreciate you tuning in for this episode. Um, as always, you can find me at facebook.com slash shower. If you could leave a rating and review and also subscribe to the podcast, we'd really appreciate it so we can get incredible stories like this out to the masses. Have a good week, guys. Bye-bye.